today's reading is from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called to them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as ruler of, rulers of Gentiles lord it over, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. Thank you, Sarah, for reading that scripture for us, Pastor Sharon, with you this morning. Before we dig into that scripture, I want to lead us in a time of prayer. What is happening around the world, and especially in Afghanistan, is so troubling to us. And we as believers know we can go to God with all of our needs. So I invite you to join me in prayer. Lord, we sang this morning about a world that's still broken, but you are worthy, and you are powerful, and your kingdom is still advancing. But we pray with anguish and with hope for the country of Afghanistan and the people of Afghanistan. Lord, we pray especially for the vulnerable people who fled the country or are trying to flee. Provide for them in safety and in provision of escape. We pray for the safety of people of all faiths in that country, and especially our brothers and sisters in Christ who walk in a hard place right now. Encourage them, we pray. Lord, we pray special protection over women and children and young people who may have their human rights suppressed or restricted. We know you are a God of freedom, and we pray that that might rise to the surface even in this place. And Lord, most of all, we pray that hope would rise up again in that nation, that your good ways would come to the surface, that your truth would reign. We don't know how that's going to happen, Lord, but we trust that you are sovereign Lord and good. So give us ways to continue to pray and to continue to support ways of people who are in harm's way. Make us your hands and feet in this situation, Lord. And we pray it in the confidence of your Holy Spirit's leading. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I encourage you to continue to lift this up in prayer as we watch things develop around the world. So we've been in this sermon series called We Serve, a reminder that God is calling us as a community to be 
people who serve. I actually like it when I drive in here to see that sign out on the road that says, we serve. And I hope it's really true of us that when people see who we are and what we're about, they say, oh, those are, must be followers of Jesus because they serve. Well, today we're going to take a look at this t- topic in terms of what is true greatness. What is true greatness? Have you ever longed to say, I'm a pretty great one? Well, we know that in the world there are people who are called the greatest of all time, right? The greatest of all time. And here's one of them that we've been seeing in the news. Even though the Olympics are a little bit past, we've heard the powerful stories coming out of those games about Simone Biles. Simone Biles, she has 32 Olympic and national medals, including at least four Olympic golds. She's the most decorated gymnast in all of history. And we've watched her. We wowed over what she can do over the last many years. She's been called, rightfully so, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. And some have even said that one of the GOAT things she did was actually to say, I can't compete anymore, that my mental and physical health is more important right now than another medal. Maybe that was one of her most great achievements. But how do we define greatness? How might we say the greatest of all time? You know, it's sports writers, it's journalists who get to make that designation, declare people the goats. But what do we do? How do we define true greatness? Now, you and I don't compete on the same level as a lot of these elite athletes. I don't compete at all on those levels. Maybe you do. I mean, I can't even do a flip, so there you go. But we all hunger in some way to be great. Whether we call it ambition or drive or initiative, moving us forward is in becoming what God intended us to do. That can be actually a really positive ally in our life. Desire for greatness, it it can be normal. To be the person God created you to be. Think of what he said about us in Psalm 139. This is true of me and it's true of each one of you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so to desire to live into that in fullness is to say, I have this masterpiece of greatness. As it says in Ephesians, you are God's masterpiece. It's written into your DNA because of the way God created you. So this hunger for greatness isn't all bad. But you and I know that hunger for greatness also has a destructive side. And we can easily get off course pursuing status, position, a great name for ourselves. Even in our smaller circles of influence, you know, we might want to be big fish. How is that? Big fish in a small pond? We actually want to be big fish in a big pond, right? There's something about that desire to have um, be recognized. Maybe it's a new job title. Maybe it's a bigger home. Maybe it's being accepted at the best college, that the top elite college. Maybe it's as simple as having a vacation that rivals everyone else's. We desire 
greatness in some ways. And our ambitions can easily shift from this positive pursuit of what God desires for us into this unbridled desire for the top spot, the most power, the most influence. And that's what our topic is about this morning. Greatness as Jesus defines it. We're going to look at it in two ways. Greatness redefined by Jesus and then greatness that's seen in service. And if you do have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them. We're going to take a look a little more deeply into the text that Sarah read for us from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. Get, open it in print, open it on digitally. Um, if you're at home, grab your Bible and let's take a look at this together. Here's the context you probably know. James and John, their brothers, along with the other ten disciples, they have been walking with Jesus for almost three years. Encountering him, watching him, and the amazing ways he he engaged people. How he went across cultural boundaries, how he reached out to the marginalized, how he healed, how he restored, how amazing is God's Jesus' ministry. But they still, they hadn't fully grasped the whole point of Jesus' purpose on earth. And so there have been many times in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus has been telling them, hey, we're heading to Jerusalem because something's coming. I'm telling you what's coming for me and what my purpose is. Betrayal. Death. And even though they'd heard these numerous um, predictions about a suffering Messiah, they still didn't quite get it. They didn't comprehend what kind of leadership Jesus was actually embodying and calling them to. So here we find them on their way to Jerusalem there in Mark chapter 10. And Jesus is being even more specific. A third time he calls them aside and says, okay, this is the way I'm going. This is what's coming for me. And he says it this way in Mark chapter 9 verses 33 and 34. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. This is what they're hearing from Jesus. And I wonder if they just were like, ah, I don't want to hear that. They covered their ears. Like, this is not what I want it to be all about. So right after this place of Jesus being so clear and specific about what is coming for him, right on the heels of this dire prediction, James and John decide it's a good time to come up and ask Jesus for something they want. The narrative says they had some ambitions. They seemed to ignore what Jesus said about suffering and said, no, 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 I I, I need to secure my place in this kingdom. I want to make sure I've got the top spot. You know, if we pull back from this text just a little bit, and I encourage you to do this, sometimes we forget that these these stories of Jesus, these narratives are written by real men and women who lived at that time. And Mark, who wrote this one, was not hesitant at all to say these disciples didn't get it. He wasn't afraid to say, you know what, there are times even people closest to Jesus are not even sure what he's about. But if you look further, if you looked in the 
a parallel passage in Matthew, Matthew might have been a little embarrassed to say that because after all, Matthew was one of them. But he tells this story in another way. He says it wasn't James and John who were so ambitious. It was their mother, right? Their mother was the one who came and said they want the highest place. And then Luke, Luke doesn't even include it at all because this is kind of embarrassing for these disciples. They are looking for something very different than what Jesus had called them to. And they had completely misunderstood Jesus' purpose. So here we see James and John, blunt and driven. After all, they were called the sons of thunder, right? So they're not going to hold back. They go right to Jesus and say, we want you to give us what we ask. We want you to do this for us, Jesus. We want you to guarantee our position of influence in your kingdom. Now before we... um, condemn them too quickly for this kind of request don't we often do the same thing we come to Jesus with our wants we come and we say Jesus I want you to do this for me how often have our own prayers asked for some kind of perk for ourselves this is what I want I want to secure this position and preferably at the top We want Jesus to guarantee our well-being. And we can pray for these things. We can. But we have to remember, even as Jesus told his disciples, that more often than not, there is a cross in mind and not a throne. When we ask what God wants, as Pastor Nancy said today, when we know Jesus more and more, we begin to ask for the things he wants us to ask for. And you'd think James and John would have gotten it, but we're like they are, them. We get it wrong a lot. But notice, they ask him this, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus says. Let us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And notice that Jesus doesn't really rebuke them, like, "Mm, how dare you ask such a thing? Don't you get it? No, he says, you don't really know what you're asking for. He takes this question and turns it in another way in order to say, I think your question itself is wrong-headed. So he says, can you actually drink the cup that I'm going to drink and be baptized in the baptism that I have? Now what does that actually mean? What is Jesus asking? Drink my cup, baptize like them. Well, Jesus is using two Jewish metaphors that were familiar to them. To drink a cup would be to experience, to have a life experience allotted to you by God. Like a king who would give a cup to his guests and say, this is what I have for you. And Jesus is saying, the cup that's been designated for you, it's not what you expect. And baptism, this isn't talking about water baptism that we celebrate as a sign of our incorporation into the kingdom of Jesus. This baptism is just the word dipped or submerged. That's what baptized means, right? Going under, going into the water. And it's this point that Jesus is saying, can you, can you go into the deep depths of experiences that I'm going to be called to? Can you be submerged in hate and pain and even death. Well, James and John, of course, we can do this, Lord. Yes, quickly, we can do this. And Jesus really predicts for them, yes, it is true. You probably will suffer this kind of life. They were seeking a place of prominence, and Jesus said very clearly, no, you're, 
your lot is going to be different than that. And we know from the New Testament that James himself was one of the first of those disciples who were martyred, who were killed when Herod was defiant over the people of Jesus. So yes, Jesus says, your way is going to be coming that way. Now, we get to the point of the other disciples in this story in verse 41. Because they hear about this conversation and they are ticked off. Like really indignant. Like how could they do this really? And they fume over these brothers bid to outflank them in prominence. I wonder. I wonder if their irritation was more that they didn't ask first. Than it was that they were, that Jesus' um, authority was being questioned Jealousy, maybe? Regret? We don't know for sure. But we do know these conversations about greatness and these ideas of ambition, they, all the disciples had been part of those. They had all been talking about these kinds of things. What is greatness? And maybe you and I, we can see ourselves in that reaction a little bit. Can you see yourself there? Upset when someone else is posturing for the top place, and so you grumble about them to somebody else. Who do they think they are? Or maybe it's just the fact that you miss out and somebody else got something great. We aren't all that different than these disciples. We have the same struggles. And it's in the middle of this turmoil of personalities, of positioning, of uh, making sure somebody's got status and who doesn't. Jesus says, Uh, We need to talk. And so it says, he called them together in verse 42. He calls them together and says, hmm, you're looking for greatness, huh? You want to be called the greatest of all time? Well, let me describe for you what that looks like. Let me tell you what true greatness really is. Jesus begins by saying, you've seen it. Take a look at the worldly leaders around you. We see it in our time. Take a look at the leaders around us. Many of them. It says, Jesus says, they want to lord it over others. And they're high officials. They want to exercise authority over others. This is the way of the world. To have the top place and to have others underneath you, right? But there are four simple words that Jesus repeat that are so powerful for us. He says, not so with you. Not so with you. You are followers of me. And so that's not your way for greatness. In fact, those are the paradoxical nature of the kingdom of God. That greatness isn't defined by proximity to power. But by proximity to service. Not by exerting power over others. But coming under others to serve. Let me just express this in ways that might, that paradox in ways that might grab us. Those who wield power in the world do so to protect themselves. Not so with you. Followers of Jesus, they give up their privileges for the well-being of others. The world The culture around us admires leaders who throw their weight around. Right? 
Not so with you. Jesus elevates not the one at the top, but the slave to the front of the line. James and John, they were going to arrange things to suit themselves to get the top position. Not so with you. Not so with us. Jesus shows us a different way where he arranged things in order that he might serve others rather than be served. Now we have to remember in every downward step that Jesus took in service, he never gave up his lordship. We sang about it this morning. He is worthy. He is worthy of all honor and glory and blessing because he is Lord. He never gives that up. But his lordship is demonstrated not by dominance, but by service. His servanthood demonstrates that he's Lord. It's a it's a flipping on the way of the, the way the world thinks. Donald Blesch in his book of Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord, says it this way. Jesus, he rules not through sheer coercion, but through the power of the powerlessness of love. I love that phrase. The power of the powerlessness of love, where the Jesus' greatest power is shown by foregoing power and position in order to love and serve others. So you want to be great? It's okay. It's okay. But let's describe greatness as Jesus described greatness. Serving rather than exacting service from others. In fact, Jesus even uses the term slave. Now we have to be sure this is not to um, legitimize the wrongful oppression of people in human slavery. That is not the point of him using this term. It is actually to say this is an absurd proposition. That the lowest of lowest of slaves would be the greatest of greatest in the kingdom. The highest honor goes to the slave. Power. That comes through the powerlessness of love. That's what greatness is. Greatness is not proximity to the powerful or the influential. But proximity to the lowly. And the goat, the greatest of all time, is not necessarily the one who stands at the top of the podium, but the one who serves. And often in obscurity. Do you believe this? Do I believe this? Do I act like I believe this? This definition of true greatness. It calls us to examine our own lives. And throughout this series, we've been highlighting people right in this community who live into that place of we serve. Because I see it in you. Many of you are saying, not so with me. I'm not going to seek the top place. I'm going to serve. And I can think of very many great people who can serve consistently um, without asking for recognition or status. Now, the congregational care team is one such group. This is a group of about nine people who together coordinate care, and they are very alert to the needs of others, both within our church and in our community. They do practical things, like offer monetary assistance, bring a meal, offer transportation, all other kinds of support. 
And I want you to hear the story of one of the members of that team this morning, Arlene Snell. Let's take a look. So Arlene, what are some ways you have recently found to serve? Well, a year ago, I took the position of lead coordinator of the card care committee for the congregational care people. And so um, we send cards out to anybody that's sick or if they've lost a loved one or uh, congratulations and just any type of cards. Now, since I became the lead, I started writing letters to our seniors and I had 18 of them. Last December, we started with another group and so now I'm writing to 28 of them Each lady gets a letter every month, and it has just been so much fun. And then they start writing back to me, and I think, oh, my. And they tell me their stories, you know, about the war. That's World War II. And their experiences there, too. So it's just been great. I just love doing it. Arlene, what motivates you to serve others? Especially in the card writing, I think of my dad. He was in the nursing home for nine and a half years. And one day I went to I went to see him about every day. And one day I went in and he said, you know, some people here get mail. And he says, I haven't gotten any mail since I've been here. And I thought, oh, my bad. I've got to send him cards. And then I, that really has inspired me, especially with COVID. These people are in their rooms. They can't, they don't see their relatives and they can't leave their facilities. And I think that really was my motivation, was to make them know they're not forgotten and that they're loved. What have you learned about God through this service? Well, I had a friend that she lived to be 104. And one day I would always go visit her and I just loved her, a very intelligent lady. and. One day, I was talking about having so much to do, and she said, you know, Arlene, I'll tell you something. We always can find time to do things that we want to do. And I thought, that's so true. But things that were are needed for us to do, we kind of shove them aside. And I thought, well, you're right. And so... But I've, I've found out, I've noticed that that's so true because when I do these projects with the seniors or even doing something to help other people, I always have the time to do it. It always works out the way I want it. So it makes me very happy. Thank you. Yes, thank you to Arlene and to so many. She is just one face of many people who actually take this seriously. A fitting example of the power of the powerlessness of love. Finding time to do things that are of value to others and not just seeking our own place. That's greatness. Greatness revealed in a card. In a lawnmower that's repaired. In a meal that's shared, in a ride that's offered, in a tech person that shows up early to make sure our 
service goes online. Greatness is by those who serve. And those who show up for the sake of a neighbor, for the sake of a family member, for the sake of their church family, for the sake of the world. So what does this mean for you and I? I want us to go back and just situate ourselves once again with those disciples who were meeting with Jesus that day. Recognize the ways that we are so often like James and John, looking for the way to get to the top and asking Jesus to be our ally in it. We act like Jesus, uh, James and John pursuing our own ambitions to bolster our own egos. And we need to gather around Jesus again like he gathered those disciples and said, let, let me remind you, let's reset the bar on greatness. Once again, this absurd proposition that in a world where power and position and status and influence are celebrated, this is what Jesus, the Lord of the universe, says to us. Whoever wants to become great must serve. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. It's what Jesus taught. It's the way Jesus lived. And so the question for us is, are we willing Are we willing to do the small things to keep showing up often in unseen and unrecognized places of service out of that power of the powerlessness of love? It's giving us our power so that love might triumph. Mother Teresa said it this way, and we know the way she served. She said there are many people who can do big things, but there are very few people who will do the small things. Are you willing to do the small things? Am I willing to take the last place to serve without any ambition for recognition or status? Am I willing to forgo even my personal rights in order for the sake of others? This is the greatness that Jesus is talking about. You want to be great? This is the way to true greatness. It means that there's more of Jesus and less of me. More of service and less of posturing for status. Not so with us, friends. Not so with us. May it be that we are truly living into what we put out on the road sign. We serve. And that's the sign of greatness. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, we recognize we get it wrong so often. We can put ourselves right next to those disciples who wanted you to do whatever they asked, who were looking for the next place of prominence, of status. And Lord, we look at you, rightful Lord of the universe, who came to serve, who told us that to the slave would be first, that the great would be the one who serves. Lord, we desire to live into that. We want to make you the point of all we do. And so we need you to change our hearts to become like you, to take what we have 
the greatness that you put into us and turn it into a place of powerlessness of love to serve others. May it be so of us individually. May it be so of this church community so that the world would know true greatness through the powerlessness of love. We pray this in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.